I want to say Cooper too. Copper's winning 60% against Salesforce, which I don't believe. I don't either. Okay, so let's read. I've got ads coming up here. Let's see if my ad blocker works. Copper is a San Francisco-based CRM company founded in 2013 with five employees. They're winning customers from Salesforce at an impressive clip. Um, no, no, Salesforce has marched to $20 billion. I don't know. I mean, I've seen this thing. What is this, Forbes? Well, we know about Forbes, right? <laughs> Do we? Any monkey with, with a set of <laughs> lipstick on their pig lips can write it for Forbes. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen these articles before. How awesome. Yeah. And it's just, it's all unsubstantiated. I mean, it's just their, it's the, it's this company self-reporting about how many, when they're in a competitive deal, what percentage of the time they win. It's like, yeah. whatever. Go ahead, go ahead 10 billion and then come back and talk to us. <laughs> or at least just a billion. Hit a billion. I think it, it, well, they're not even talking about the deal size though, are they? No. They're just saying percentage of wins. So if they're right. winning more of the smaller high volume, or not high volume, but a smaller high volume as in more customers versus Salesforce who's now like in the enterprise, which is less customers, but bigger user numbers. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like the deal size is bigger. Like right. it's like mm -hmm. fewer deals, but the deals are bigger. Right. And so if you're comparing that percentage rate to say a smaller company that's doing a, you know, large number of deals for smaller users and. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just playing with the numbers. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're doing what I would do if I was them. Yeah, getting, yeah, I don't fault press. them for it. Yeah, they're getting they got written up in the. I'm sure Salesforce did the same thing back in the day. Oh, they still do. <laughs> they still do that kind of thing all the time. There's well, no that five million the, that, that my five million developer number is real. That the Salesforce fixing their pay gap hit the news again. What was that last week? Did you see that a week or two ago? I posted it in Slack. It's like this is. This is amazing. They keep. I thought I saw an article that and, kind and they, of. And it's written. The article's written as if Salesforce just discovered they have a, a pay a pay gap, a gender pay gap. And it's like, no, guys, they did this like four years ago, and they've, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like Groundhog Day when it comes to their their payroll. <laughs> <laughs> I read an article. I think it was Business Insider or Business Inc. or something like that. Um, they had a counter take to all of the. I think because they're starting to notice all the how how it just keeps coming back for them, and they're like, "Well, you know what? If this is really a problem, how come you're not sharing the numbers of why it happened? And if it's happening because of people in the in the company, meaning it's happening because people are actively excluding women or paying them less, who who got fired? Because yeah. nobody got fired. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just it's just again, it's it's getting out there. It's getting in, it's being in the news for a positive thing, first of all. <clears throat> And then it's also just that, that insurance that uh, they're building up that force field around them because they need it, as we've seen with the, the force field against criticism. And we've, we've seen how they've needed that in various circumstances. Well, we might need it too. We should do some more positive I'll take, I'll take everything I can get. <clears throat> so what do you want to cover today? You want to cover some news? I mean, I think it's, I have some, some dev stuff to talk about. I don't, we really got any, some news I don't have any stuff news to talk other than, about. did we talk about? Um, we have some Dreamforce stuff to talk about. Do we? Okay. The only newsy thing that I had was just that that security problem that Salesforce had. That's like, the only news thing you have? Yeah. That's the only thing I was like, I, I just wanted to talk to you about this. 
Okay, let's start there. Okay. <laughs> so first of all, I think it was I think it was limited to marketing cloud. I'm not quite sure, but it was, and it sounded it like is. it was also an API. So yeah. you know, if if someone someone could basically get uh, using the API, they could sound like they could get for, this went on for like six weeks. Was that's so that's that's one of the uh, I think I would say alarming things about this. <clears throat> not not that there was a security problem because. I think, you know, Salesforce is a, they have a big enough surface area that they, they've got security, they're finding security problems every day. It's just that we will not hear about 99.9% of them because they get reported privately, even like the, you know, the P0s. I mean, they get reported privately and they get patched really quickly and no one ever, no one ever finds out about it. You know, you, you, let me tell, I promise you, you submit a P0, you know, security problem to Salesforce. And they're going to fix it, and they're going to give you like a bunch of free Dreamforce passes and all kinds of stuff, and tell you to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I mean, of course they would. Why? Well, you know, there's no. They have no. They have no requirement to. At least that I know of. Unless they know there was a breach. There was an actual breach, right? right? It was that it, something was exploited. Right. Would they need to actually announce it? Well, I mean, I thought with this marketing cloud thing, they found they found a security flaw, but they didn't have any evidence that a breach happened or that no but they wouldn't have any evidence and that's the other alarming part about this and this is what this one security guy said he said uh in my opinion this is below expectations uh, he adds up some security company in edinburgh he says i'm surprised that an organization of this size does not have effective monitoring or logging in place i would be asking them what are they going to put in place now well let's let's be clear about one thing though marketing cloud is not homegrown salesforce built it was an acquisition so oh. it's built on different technologies it's it's I, Salesforce not, now owns it, I, I'm but not, I'm not, they've inherited right. these these flaws. I'm, I'm not I'm not distinguishing on who we should blame, whether it's original Salesforce engeners or ones that were part of an acquisition. Well, I, no, I, I but I mean care. the, the idea that that oh, a company the size of Salesforce shouldn't have these issues. They should have monitoring. Well, the tool that they bought may not be conducive for monitoring. They didn't build it well, with monitoring. I think in it's mind. been enough years since they bought Marketing Cloud that they could they could put in some security logging and stuff. May, I mean, maybe I, I'd, maybe. I don't. I don't necessarily give them a pass. This is enterprise software, Jeremy. I know. Yeah, things move like a like a what a, what a cruise ship. How do you can't turn a cruise ship on a dime? I'm not good today. Let's see if I have any enterprise. Let's see. Enterprise customers trust the vendors that take them out to dinner. No, there you go. That's about it. That's enterprise. I love enterprise. The user security. experience isn't really a factor in enterprise buying. Yeah, that's that's true too. Um, <clears throat> what else? So it was like uh, it was like I don't know four to six weeks. I, and it was like June to July, so maybe about a month or so. Mm -hmm. They could improperly retrieve or write data to yeah. a customer's account. And Salesforce became aware of it on July 18th. So they didn't, they didn't even become aware of it until... So it, it was, it was open. The, 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 the hole was open for a month. But it was and, due and it, to a... And, and the hole got closed. Right, but the hole was created, right? Yeah. It, was, it was a patch or, or some kind of update that created the yeah, hole? maybe so. I, I believe so. But yeah, it was, it was it was open for a, a month, and but and then it closed, and Salesforce didn't even know about it according to this until almost two weeks after the thing closed. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But um, wasn't it, you that said software was hard? It's software is hard, and like I said, I'm not I'm not, <laughs> I'm definitely not like I mean I think Salesforce overall has a pretty damn good track record. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not saying I could do any better. There's just a couple. There was this. There's just a couple weird things about it. And I would say the third weird thing is how how many how many news sites did you see cover this, or even IT sites? I don't think many. I saw one. I saw the one, the bank. I think I maybe saw or whatever. No, I think I saw like two or three. Did you? Yeah, but in any. But so they were they were all kind have of. Have you heard of the sites before? <laughs> no, they were they were just kind of par parroting, regurgitating the same yeah. talking points. It, they were just basically clones of the original article. I think another thing I thought was interesting. 
Um, so I guess this is number four thing I don't like about the story, which is I went to look at uh, on Trust the security bulletins. They have they list security bulletins. Oh, Not listed. Nothing. Nothing. Now they did. I drill. If you drill into Marketing Cloud, it shows up as like a temporary thing. Mm. That's just gonna eventually. That's gonna just gonna go away after it times out or whatever. And it's not it's not part of the bullet security bulletins log or anything. So yeah, I've never been I've never been all that confident with trust. I've I've had plenty of instances where something will get reported as critical with screenshots to prove it, only to see it turn into like some like momentary lapse in in the historical record. Yeah, and it just it falls off the the log after like a thirty days or a week or whatever. Yeah, but not even that. Like hours after the event happened. It'll it'll go from oh, yeah. red to being yellow, yeah, and it's yeah. like, what happened here? <laughs> yeah, it was, everything was completely down for two hours, and they just have it as yellow. It's a temporary slight degradation in performance. It's like, no, no one could get in. <laughs> That's completely down. Although yeah. marketers resolved, but they've 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 enabled it for web clients for web users, but like APIs and everything else is still down. But they'll they'll market as, yeah, it's resolved. It was just a momentary lapse. Right. Users can log in because APIs aren't important nowadays, are they? Yeah. it's not like Salesforce bought the leading API integration tool for no reason whatsoever. I mean, it was just, it was just they, they didn't really need it. They just you know, had some extra money, so they bought that thing. Yeah, a- they API, just had some APIs extra money. Are, <laughs> APIs aren't important. Just had some extra, some extra yeah. cash. Yeah, that was the only news thing I had. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I can't believe that's the only news thing you have. I mean, you want to talk about Keith Block becoming co-CEO? Oh, actually, yeah. I mean, we can talk about that. I saw it. When was that? They announced that yesterday? Yesterday. So this is one from from Hawaii, of course, where they're having a management meeting, of course. Oh, yeah. uh, so, so what do you think about this whole co-CEO thing? Because it's a rare thing, and obviously the 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 closest we have example we have of that is Oracle and their co-CEOs. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll just real quickly say, personally, I don't think it. I don't think it works. I think it's a bad idea. But, yeah. I, and I'm sure Salesforce will make it work. I just don't think it's ideal. Um, but let me. We got. I think we have to pause and back up for a second and just say that. Which leading world-class Salesforce podcast has been basically predicting that this is going to happen for, you know, at least a couple of years now? That'd be the good day, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, think, I feel like, I was like, well, that's basically what John and I have been saying this whole time. Yeah. When they announced that. I mean, yeah, and, and Keith's going to be, I mean, Ben Elf's going to stay along as the big picture guy, the top, you know, of why don't you bubbly you know three ring circus leading you know yeah, he'll be the face he'll be the face of it and and block is still gonna i think be responsible for like overall for for sales and everything well i think but, i think this is pretty much what keith has been doing and now he's just getting the title i agree but i don't think i, I think this has been the i don't plan. think anybody wants benioff to let go of this of being ceo because i think he's such a critical part of Salesforce's well, success. I think that's what co-CEO is. It's to not scare Wall Street. Right. Because we still don't know. I mean, is, is, does Benioff, is his, I'd love to know what his plan is for himself. Does he plan to be out of here in two or three more years, five years maybe, and just go off and do, you know, philanthropy stuff? Or, you know, is, is something else going on? I mean, like, heaven forbid, is like, is maybe is someone in, you know, uh, someone's sick, or is he? You know, uh, who knows? Like, does he pl- does does he have something that like is going to make him want to leave the company relatively soon? And when I say I say you know when I say that I mean like five years or less. And this is part of easing, you know, block into this basically you know the top leadership role at Salesforce in a way that happens slowly enough that 
Wall Street doesn't realize it's being boiled. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder if it's just, I, 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 I tend to lean towards that he's probably, even though in the, in the interview he says it, this is an, in, an indication that he's got one foot out the door, but he's got one foot out the door. I, I think, I, I think mean, like you said, this is a way for him to, he's for got them one to foot eat. somewhere. I mean, the argument they gave was that Salesforce is a big company to, and it mm. requires more people to manage this and that. I'm like, it's not bullshit. I mean, you have, you have Google and you have Amazon and you have um, Microsoft. They don't have co-CEOs. No. And, and they're, pr- they're pretty big. Yeah. I mean, and the C, you know, at a, at a, at a company of that size, I mean, the CEO is, they're just directing other. Well, I think I think there's certain approval levels, certain decisions that happen at, at that CEO level that that Benioff wants Keith to have yeah. the, um, I guess the role to be able to make those decisions. But because he's such a pivotal part of continuing to grow the company, continuing to evangelize the company, and and everything that he has to stay involved, he can't just because I think his his plan is ultimately just to to go the way Ellison went, which is he's got two CEOs running. <laughs> His company, but he's still a very big presence on the board, and he's also, you know, still very present at all their conferences. Well, and isn't isn't Nelson still like technically their CTO? I could be wrong about that. I feel like for a while he moved over and he's the, he was the CTO or something. I don't, I don't know, but he's the yeah, he's still the chairman of the board, right? I guess. And, and I I feel like also Ellison was one of the co CEOs for several years, and then and then it changed to Herd and um, Katz. Really, I thought he gave up. I thought he gave it up and immediately. Gave it up to two CEOs. Yeah, he could have. Yeah. I could be wrong about that. But and I also th- I'm hoping. Actually, my biggest hope for Block being co-CEO is that he really drives Salesforce from this. He helps them make this transition from a growth company to a a solid like value company that mm-hmm. that we have confidence. Again, they have a business model that works. They can produce. They can actually produce value long term. They haven't. You know, these are things they haven't proven. And just for for uh, for everyone for all of us who work in this ohana, this ecosystem mm-hmm. that are dependent, we're going to be dependent on this during the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah, you know, to just get by. The uh, you know we we need to know that this company can has a model that works for the long term, and that they they aren't dependent on twenty five percent year over year growth in order to keep their stock out of the toilet. Yeah, and I think I think Keith potentially could do that. I, I don't see an indication that would make me feel otherwise. Um, in fact, he more so than Benioff, I think, can do that. Mainly because I think Benioff is so focused on his philanthropy, his social kind of endeavors um, that have recently kind of made that point difficult. I mean, yeah. you can't keep growing and have a sustainable business model when you when you're being asked to exclude people from your business. Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know how else to say that without know. getting political. No, I'm, yeah, not sure exactly <laughs> what you mean, but I don't. I don't want to drill down on it. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think you know, it's uh, it's probably a good move. I feel like you know, again, we've talked about this. That it seems like Benioff's kind of been. He just he hasn't seemed for many years now that he's like the the real hands on. He seems, yeah. just seems like the guy that's kind of the, the jolly guy that's kind of floats around. And, and he, I'm sure he has to make big decisions. I'm not saying he doesn't. He's still been the CEO, but like, right. he's just, he's a little more ethereal than it. He's got his, to, to borrow a phrase, he's, he's got his heads in the clouds a little bit more than a, uh, you know, a, a ear to the ground CEO would. would. Yeah. And I feel like that's what Block is. So, 
will be interesting to, to track this. And I, I don't think it'll last longer than a couple of years, and then Benioff will become just the chairman. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the CPO, Chief Philanthropy Officer. Officer. Uh, he, he'll yeah. just be the chairman. That's it. Uh, maybe the C-3PO. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> well, uh, Parker also uh, had some news. Yeah, what was that? He got he got promoted or no? He's 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 uh, oh, he's, he's on now, board now on the board now. Okay. Yeah, I knew something changed with him. That's pretty nice for Parker. Yeah, how do you get have a, a seat at the table? How do you get a board seat? That's not appointed. Right? I don't. don't I think the, it's elected. Yeah, I think the stockholders yeah. have to elect. Right. I mean, that's. Well, I think the board the nominates, and I think shareholders yeah. vote. And right. did you vote? I'm not a shareholder. Oh, you, you're not. Wow. No. I mean, I wish I would have bought Salesforce stock a long time ago. I just want to be the guy, you know, five years from now when the stock blows up and everyone's making millions and I'm like, damn, I should have bought it 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, I'm already saying that, so. <laughs> but I would do it over again. I, I still like it. On, on, and it's, I don't know. <clears throat> I, probably I mean, it's, easy, it's easy to say, I wish I had invested in something at this point in time when back then it was still such a big unknown. I just, I, I think this is a stock for, um, for doing like, you know, uh, shorts and and stuff or longs or whatever you want to do like you know, i don't think it's necessarily a, it's not a long-term own stock right for me right now if i if i did that kind of like trading and puts and all that options and everything then i would um i, I think salesforce i think it, i think there's some money to be made there that's that's low risk but holding salesforce i think is risky right now because their pe is so high i mean there's so much expectation and, and promise to do something that Salesforce has never done before that's built into that stock price that it's just I mean I might own a small if I was owning a small very small percentage you know mm. of my worth would be in Salesforce stock but there's just there's to me there's just other better investments that are not not quite as crazy well, I also I never got into the real the real speculative tech stocks i still don't understand how they even value these companies i mean there's there's all these i mean i, I kind of understand them but there's all these alternative valuations enterprise value price per sales price per per uh, uh free cash operating cash flow, all that kind of stuff but i i just i don't get into that yeah it's not my thing all right i had a um a triggers thing, and this is this is really old. I mean, for a lot of people, this is going to be boring. But I'm oh, that's a great I, way to start. A topic. I know, I know. I'm sure I've just sold everyone. <laughs> Everyone's on the edge of their seat just, right now. Just clicked skip on this episode. But uh, no, I've I've been doing a little bit of APEC stuff uh, and some trigger stuff, and it's reminded me um, because I had to ask myself this question: Oh, should this be a before trigger or an after trigger? And then I just I kind of have to think about it for a minute and and remember. The, the whole model, how it works. Yeah. <clears throat> and I kind of st started searching around also because I knew there was some stuff written about this. And the question is like, you know, do you, let's say you want to, what I'm trying to think of what I wanted to do. Oh, I need to, I think, some validate some things. Like just basically I need some, some validation code that was that's in, in, in a trigger. And um, that would be a before. Yeah. So I think that's where you're wrong. So let me, um, God, I need my buzzer. Where's my buzzer, John? I'm going to go ahead and buzz you. So you're going to do validation in an after context? Okay. I, I think you're wrong. I, and I, now, so this is why I thought this would happen, and this is why I wanted to bring this up, because 
this is such an old topic, but I either I'm wrong. You're wrong. Or you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Or, or, or and people <laughs> just, it's one of those things that you, even though it's an old topic, it's been around for 10 years now, it's, it's worth re, uh, re-discussing and, and, you know, revisiting because there are new people and there are some of us who just forget because we drink too much beer <laughs> and we kill brain cells. Well, the scenario so, does matter. So depending on what your scenario is, it, it may well, not, just, it may not be fair to put it in a, in a before. Let's just do I'll the, give myself that out. Um, yeah, I mean, let's just do the, the validation. So like, you want to make sure that, um, I don't know, some, some value of a field is, uh, complies with something, right? Mm-hmm. And you're saying that's, you know, doing a before trigger. Now, why are you saying it doing a before trigger? First of all, let me ask you that. Why not after? I mean, is there something bad about after? Is after less, um, less performant or is there something you like about before that's better? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's any kind of real performance gain to be gained. I mean, obviously, no DML has happened, right? Or maybe it has. No, because you don't have an ID, so no DML has happened. As long as you're dealing with that one record, I mean, you're in the middle of DM. That's the thing. You're in. You're in the middle of all this. You're in a transaction. You're in the middle of stuff. But yeah, there's not. I, there's not yeah. IDs yet. If 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 it's a if it's an insert, right? Is that what right. Salesforce calls it? Insert or create? Insert. Okay. Oh, the soap IB calls it create. That's not confusing at all, right? Well, they say crud. That's true. But the, da- the database term is usually insert. Like SQL calls it an insert, you know, so that's, I think, why. Well, the command is right. database.insert. Yeah. yeah. Uh, unless in Apex. Even, except in their SOAP API, it's create. It's not oh, insert. That's not confusing at all. I know. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so there's, if, if it's an insert, uh, you're going to get IDs eventually, but in, in the before context, you don't, there are no IDs yet. Right. Okay. But that, that doesn't really answer the question of like why why should I do my validation code in a before? Oh, I may I, here, let me let me let me can I can I offer an answer to that question? Okay, okay, um, because less work has happened yet, and if you can va- if you can reject something early rather than later, why would you not reject it early? Yeah, it's that's just, you know, that's going to be my comment. Is that the only thing I could think of is that in a before context, typically your code gets it first or whatever other operations. Most of the other operations like the workflow and process yeah, my code builder. Or your code? My code. Um, <laughs> my code will run before your code. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, less things are happening. There's, there's not a commit. There's not an ID being generated. Um, for a while there, I think, I don't know if that's been addressed or not, but for a while there, you could, you could actually skip IDs because it created the ID and had to roll back, but that ID is already consumed. I don't know if that's been addressed yet or not, but maybe it has. I'd- I actually did not realize that IDs could get consumed but never actually show well, up. Tests were consuming IDs That's for the crazy. longest time, that, but they still do, right? I there's there's the option in that test executor thing to not consume IDs or something like that. And I'm like, oh, that's. I thought they made a change to where it didn't, but may, maybe not. I don't know. But I, mean, I guess they have such a giant ID space. What is what is the Salesforce ID? Is it, is it like a? It's like uh, base. 62 or by 63 or something like that i don't know i never agreed with people wanting their ids to be sequential though i'm, I'm like why do you care what's 63 to the eight how many characters is it? it's 15 characters really right 63 to the 15 is oh that's such a big number it's 9.7 times 10 to the 26th whatever that is so that's why they can th- i mean that's why you can just run your tests all day long they don't care because they've got enough ids you know to last long you know past the time when the sun explodes so <laughs> Although I guess you have to take out well, it's not it's not to the fifteenth because the first three characters say, are reserved, yeah. but it's still a huge number. Yeah. 
All right, well, let me get to the point here. So I, I found, um, I went searching around for others' opinions. And one thing I found was, uh, it was some random blog post. You may be wondering why so many triggers are before triggers. There's a good reason. They're simple to use. If you need to make any changes to a record entering your after trigger, you have to do a DML statement. But that's different. I, I'm just reading this blog post. I, okay. I agree. Uh, this isn't necessary in a before trigger. Changes to the record entering your trigger always save. The specific use case of an after trigger is when you need to associate any record to a record being created in your trigger. Here's an example. Uh, oh, I guess forget that. So moral of the story, before triggers are kings of the jungle. You, you could say they are the apex predators of Salesforce. <laughs> well, that's, that's an entirely different situation because you do not want to DML on the record that just came in because you'll cause everything to refire a lot of times unnecessarily. And if that code is not validating whether or not it has to run, meaning it's looking at certain field yeah. values to change to say, oh, this changed, I need to run again. Or it has some kind of limiter or something built like it into it. It needs a stop condition. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, you could, you could easily... Because it's recursive. Right? Yeah, cause, and it's all part of the same transaction. So you could, you could hit SQL limits. You can hit all sorts of other types of limits. So it's, it, yeah, if you're going to modify that data, you definitely want to do it in... Definitely don't want to do it in a, in a after. You want to do it in yeah. a before if you can. By the way, this is one of those things I guarantee you, like, half the people listening to this right now are jumping out of their chairs wanting to, like, scream their opinion to us on this. Because everyone's got an opinion on this. This is one of those topics. You know, we so should do a live show one day, maybe for the 200th episode, which is coming up. We're at, what, 180-something now? 183, I think this yeah. is. Yeah. We should do, a, like, a live episode for let people call in. And I don't know how we do that. But I don't either. <clears throat> we should explore it. We could, like, uh, rent out, like, a room in a restaurant or something and just have a bunch of people out and record it live and then have people it's call in. Most of the people we know <laughs> don't live around us. I, I think there's a lot in the Dallas area. In fact, we should probably do like a, a, a meetup every once in a while. Uh, maybe. Anyway, all right, let me... So, so, I, okay. so yeah, so, so keep, continue on because I want to... Okay. That, that had nothing to do with the validation. Though. So here's, here's another uh, piece of information I found on the internet. Before, uh, before trigger, in, uh, events occur before a record's changes are committed to the database. This particular event is ideal for performing data validation, setting default values, or performing additional logic and or ca calculations. Before triggers are the most efficient, which that's the point I made, I think, and, and are going to be your go-to method for most of the triggers you will write for a couple of reasons. The first is being that you can perform data validation and reject a record before it's committed to the database, meaning there's no cost to performance um, by the system having to roll back an update. Second, you can update fields or set default values for a record without having to initiate another DML. Uh, and then it says after trigger events occur, after a record has been committed to the database, which means that records uh, being inserted will have a record ID available. So again, I, I, I disagree. I disagree with this. Um, let me read you what I believe is the correct advice here. Okay. This is also I'm curious what you disagree with, though, because that... Well, I disagree that that's... I dis the, my, the main thing I disagree with is I don't think you should do validation in a before trigger in general. And I'm going to get to why that is. Okay. So just hold on to I'll that. Be I know patient. you. I know you're like. I'll really be patient. All right, I'll, so here, I'll be the proxy. So here's the uh, listener who wants to scream opinions, but has to sit and listen. Here's the explanation. And when I'm done with this, I'm going to, I'm going to reveal all these sources so everyone gets credit or blame. Once developed, uh, Apex triggers are either deployed into a production org. Let me make sure this is the right place. Or packaged within an App Exchange package, which is then installed. In the, in the latter case, such, uh, such Apex triggers cannot be changed. The consideration being raised here arises if the second Apex trigger is created on an object. 
There can be a few reasons for this, especially if the existing Apex trigger is managed and cannot be modified, or a developer simply chooses to add another Apex trigger. So what harm can a second Apex trigger on the same object really cause? Well, like the first Apex trigger, it has the ability to change the field values as well as validate them. Apex triggers are not guaranteed to fire in any order, so what, if, what would happen if we added a second trigger, which attempts to modify the answer to an, to an invalid value? So meaning, if your trigger is the first one to fire and it does the validation, you could have, unbeknownst to you, a second trigger comes along mm -hmm. and changes the value that you just validated. So you, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't validate the final version of that record because some, another before trigger came after you and modified that record. Mm -hmm. That is why this doesn't, you cannot do validation before triggers. But that's wrong. How's that wrong? Because Salesforce reruns your triggers. No, they don't. Yes, not, they do. No, John. They run it at on, least twice. Me, stop. Hang on. Hang, they used to run it second. more, nope, and then they nope, limited it nope. to two. Hang on one second. You have, say you have two triggers. Mm -hmm. The first one's yours. Yeah. Okay. You validate that the name field is no longer than 10 characters, because that's your business rule. Mm -hmm. Then my trigger fires on the same object. Right. And I give it a name that's more than 10 characters. Mm -hmm. Everything goes through just fine. Your trigger does not run again. That before your before trigger does not. And you have tests that proves that. I don't need a test. That's the that's the exact model. I believe Salesforce knew uh, was nope, aware of the situation. They rerun all the triggers with that new you data context okay. for the changes. So you you do not properly understand the the trigger execution model, man, because it will not rerun unless a unless DML is is performed again. And by the way, my source for the second the second let me let me let me so let me I verify identities here the second. Uh, or the, the correct blog post that I just read from is Andy Fawcett. The one before that that's, that's saying to use before triggers is this, it's this weird blog I found called Iterative Logic. <laughs> it came up when I searched for this, John. You came right up. Um, actually, you know what? You did correct yourself, though. You did an update to that blog post because one thing you said was that um, what did you say? Well, let me read the correct, your correction. It was pointed out in the comments that the order of execution I described isn't entirely correct. The, the record isn't truly committed to the database until after the after event uh, right. fires. Yeah. So that's true. It's like not until all this stuff is done is there is there is the the commit message sent to the database. Oh, I'm glad I brought this up because we disagree, and I feel like this is one of those things that people, because you know, especially nowadays, when you look at this execution. Um, I guess, what is it called? A, a pattern or whatever of triggers and workflow and process builder and flows and all this stuff. Yeah. And then what happens if in the middle of that someone calls DML? I mean, it is it, it's very difficult to reason about. I mean, it, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah, I'm wrong. Damn it. So it executes all the before triggers. Did you find Andy's thing? No, I'm okay. looking at Salesforce documentation. Because I, 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 in fact, the reason I made that correction is I think someone pointed out to me in my comments, they were, and I went to the same documentation that talked about the order of execution for triggers. And I made that correction because of that. Um, but there's the, there was one part so you still didn't, you didn't It does run though. triggers twice, but that's if DML happens and also runs yeah. if workflow happens. Right. If, if work, well, if workflow, if workflow doesn't triggers update. a DML. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I love getting to play this clip, John. Jeremy was right. Damn you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it love it love it still my code takes precedence over everyone else's code so i don't care <laughs> yeah. do you do you just check the checkbox that it's called my code 
Yes. Checkbox, my code. By the way, that's going to be our next shirt. My, my code. code. <laughs> that's such an inside joke, though. And it's not even that funny. <laughs> I don't care. It's going to be our next shirt. Okay. Is there going to be a checkbox next to it? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I brought that up because, see, this is one of those things that it's just, it's, it's confusing. It is. It's complicated. I still think before is, is a good place to do it in, but... But you're validating what might not be the final... And my, that it, not only what might it's it may not be the final version of that record, but you you may not see another version of it. That could be the that you know what I mean. That could be the the last time you're going to see that your your code will see that record. Right. But it's not the final version of it. Someone behind someone coming after you can change that record, and you're never going to see it again unless somewhere DML is called. And and it's got to be DML on the same record. It can't be DML on other records because if that's the case, you're never going to see that. You still won't see that record ever again. Right. It all comes down to you can't control the order of execution unless you, you build unless you build it that way. And one important thing to remember is once once the after context is started, nothing can change. The record cannot change. It throws a runtime error if you try to change a record in an after context. So that's just, that's why that's where you do your. Well, I, I will validation. say it's not it's not like a doom and gloom situation to have validation here before, as long as as long as you're following the best practice of having one trigger method. But you, you can't you can't do that. Andy's point about you know you install no, no, you install I know, a, uh, I know. know I was going to say yeah. the the problem comes when you have managed packages or other systems that are that are inside your code base that are obviously outside of what framework you developed or process builders or you know you know well they, process builder they don't have the before context you know, so your you're safe there. Employer hires a citizen admin that's doing process builders and has no idea what they're doing. I wouldn't talk bad about process builder. It's becoming the new norm. I have lost quite a bit of work because uh, no. people are like, I can do that in Flows. I'm, I can I'm do still, that in Process no. Builder. I'm still getting paid to convert Process Builders. <laughs> I'm doing a big one right now, converting a big, disgusting rat's nest of Process Builders that don't perform correctly, that both execution, like limit-wise, and speed, and, and accuracy. And, and like, and no one can understand them. They're just doing so what Salesforce so, told them to do. So, which I'm, is, no, which so I'm getting is, to rebuild this as a Dream it as and build it, Jeremy. Dream it and I'm, build it. Well, I mean, that's Point fine. Point and click. That's fine. You don't need a damn developer. Uh, that's why I call Process Builder the technical debt generator. They're too expensive. <laughs> the TDG. They're moody. They're emotional. <laughs> they get their feelings hurt. Yeah. You don't need a developer. I guess. I mean, whatever. I guess you don't need a car mechanic either. Just um, have someone... No, you don't. You just you, you plug in that thing with the app on your phone and yeah, you, you just right. diagnose the car or yourself. Just, just put some of that... What's the stuff called you put in your gas tank that you supposedly cleans your... Your fuel injectors, like uh, it yeah. gives you a whole tune-up just by pouring something in your gas tank. Just do that. That's, oh, you want to hear right? the? I saw this newest one where you breathe into this device and it tells you what you should eat. Oh no, that's you're wrong about that. It's, it tells you how drunk you are. <laughs> <laughs> Did the judge not explain this to you, John? No, <laughs> I thought it just told me when I needed a beer or not. <laughs> but that was a, that was a thing I saw recently. Yeah. I was like, really? This it tells is, this you what is you should eat, huh? Yeah, messing how bad your breath is. I guess. For me to be like, oh, you don't need more coffee, that's for sure. <laughs> that's probably all the time. I drink way yeah. too much coffee. To the point where I'm starting to get self-conscious of my breath because it was like an episode of The Office where he had that suggestion box. And like in the box, there was everyone like wrote a bunch of notes about his bad coffee breath. And I was like, you know what? I drink nothing but coffee nonstop. I bet I have really bad coffee breath. I probably do too. But I work by myself in this office, so. Yeah. Well, I work from home and... I have access to a toothbrush, so I, I do brush after meals. Hopefully this beer will be a little bit better than the last one. I'm, I'm clearing out my fridge of... Yeah, I can't... I, I didn't want to complain because it was free beer, but um, it, wasn't it, wasn't, it wasn't great. 
That was as an it was an other half, and it was a New England IPA, and it was more than three weeks old, so it literally was not very good. Yeah, I'm gonna pour it myself. Damn it! You just lost your tip. <laughs> Got to pour my own beer here. <laughs> then I realized I was was working towards a tip. I'm just saying. <sighs> I don't mind earning a tip every now and then. I'm not above that. Yeah, party at Jeremy's. His wife is his wife and family are gone, so he's he's a bachelor for the week. That's true. All right, let's try this one. This is a sour, by the way, so don't be alarmed. I think it is. Oh yeah, it is. Smell it. Okay, this is good. It's plum. Oh, it's nice. Yeah, that is good. Uh, who is that? Is that other half also? Uh, it's mmm fruit. I know. It's, yeah, <laughs> is that the name? With plum. Yeah, mmm fruit. Maybe I think it's more like mmm fruit. <laughs> You got to do your, your announcer voice. Yeah. Who is this from? Well, Berliner Weiss so. style ale plum. Berliner Weisse. I don't yeah. see a name. Unless that logo's it. Oh, it's a, okay. There it is. Other half. You got to turn it sideways to read it. Mm. All right. Well, John, so that was a, well, that was a successful topic. I'm so glad to do that. I was, any, anything where I can prove that I'm right and John's wrong. It's always a good day. It's a good episode. <laughs> All right, your turn. There's a tear in my beer because I'm <laughs> crying for you, dear. <coughs> your turn. You are on my lonely mind. Oh. <laughs> um, so, uh, fan of the show, community member Stephen with no E, Stephen Noe, uh, he, he, he managed to get a hold of the, the Dreamforce 18 Prospectus, and that's the, the kind of PDF spreadsheet that they send out to prospective uh, people who want to do a booth and all those kind oh, of things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that tells you how amazing it's going to be for your business, how many people are going to, how much traffic there is, how many attendees, you know, there are. Yeah, more importantly, it tells you how much it's going to cost you. Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> but I, just, I, thought, I thought these demographics were kind of interesting because they didn't make sense to me. Okay. And so, so the title of this demographic section has got a bunch of pretty charts. It says, uh, demographics, uh, who will be making a path to your booth? So I'm assuming this is expo related of who would be in and out of the expo and it breaks it down by a lot of different things where is the expo by the way is that the one on the first it floor? changes um, okay. i think they've been putting it on the first floor but sometimes it's on the second floor i don't know it's it's changed okay i don't know where it ends up these days because i think the downstairs they well especially now because um i don't know what state moscone is in i don't know how much of that construction is finished i don't either but I feel like the expo, at least the year that we went, that was the place that I avoided at all costs because you know it's just going to be people that are, you know, vultures trying to. Jump we made on it you. there. We did for one reason. Do you remember what it was? Uh, to walk around, but we ended up getting uh, someone to do the show. It was yeah. Well, I think I thought we went there to talk to him. I thought, no. or did we not? No. We just walked around in there. We walked around. We, it's Kevin. I can't remember his last name. He works at. Yeah, uh, he was Sage. Sage. Yeah. Yeah. He gave us some insight on their what two month development cycle to get a yeah. A, uh, a quarter of their development team was dedicated to uh, sandbox maintenance and getting deployments to go through. Yeah. But kudos for them to, to get it done. I guess so. That's, Man, that's, that's some, <laughs> some, that's torture. Yeah, it is. It's the, it's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> so it breaks it down by department. And I thought this was kind of weird because I don't know what department means. So, so it has, it lists departments as IT professional. That's not a department. Marketing professional, it's not a department. Nope. Uh, sales professional, not a department. <laughs> Anyways, it goes on. Executive, administrator, consultant, developer, other operations, and partner. And that's the order 
in which the percentages rank. Partner is 5%. And I'm assuming that that's people in the expo walking around. So you, most partners aren't going to walk around the expo and talk, talking to you. So, And I guess this is just estimates, though. There's no way they know. And I'm sure they know by scan badges and things, historically. Yeah, but even that is that, that's, um, that suffers from uh, uh, self-selection bias. Because certain types of people aren't going to want to even offer to have their badges scanned. Well, there's also, there's also a lot of bias when it comes to your badges. Everyone's trained to look at your badge. And unless you have a customer badge, they won't look at you. Yeah. Your That's partner true. or your, your media. So that, so that would throw off <laughs> yeah. their data completely. That would throw off your data. Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of weird. Yeah, you're in the, this is the sales business. And nothing matters. There's no truths. My, you know, we both have truths. Are mine the same as yours? That kind yeah. of thing. Uh, they rank job levels being the highest. You'd, you're more likely to get a manager in your booth. Um, 60% are going to have full conference passes. Um, wow, 40%. Would 63%. Not have a, I know, but so, so, for, so 37% don't have full conference. So well, they have expo only, I guess? Well, the other thing is 23% would be employee. And I don't, I, I'm assuming that means just like a regular employee of a company, not Salesforce employees. Oh, that may, be, that may mean Salesforce employee. Really? Yeah. I mean, we're all employees of somewhere. Maybe because they have sponsor on here, and 12% is expected to be a, a sponsor, uh, and 2% uh, executive summit. I don't know what that means. Oh, yeah, they always have that executive summit at Dreamforce. Guess. Which I'm not, I don't know. Don't get invited to that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, industries, what is high tech? What is high tech? Yeah, because they said 23% are going to be from the high tech industry. I don't know, probably like, um, I don't know, like the silicon level stuff and. AI. But wouldn't they be building stuff and any, selling stuff, not, not walking around looking for stuff? Fourth Industrial Revolution leaders? I guess. Uh, second to that at 10% is financial services. Since that's the business I tend to circle, that's what I got. But anyways, those are the demographics. I thought the numbers were kind of weird. It didn't, it didn't seem accurate. I want to know what these things cost, though. Well, we're getting to that. Okay. Uh, so titanium sponsorship. The numbers is, everyone wants to Is know. that the biggest one? That's the biggest one. What does that get you, first of all? Well, it's invitation only, first of all. <clears throat> Oh, sure it is. So Salesforce is to go, you know what? You're a name we want to put everywhere. So first of all, I'm going to say that this is at least a million dollars, literally just the fee, at least a million dollars. Yeah. Okay. 1.25 million. Oh, wow. Shit, I was pretty close. And there's six slots available. So multiply that by six. Yeah. Sounds like 7.25, something like that, or yeah. seven and a half. Uh, the next one down from that is Platinum. That one's going for a million. There's 14 slots of that. How much is Platinum? A million. Um, oh, just that's a million. You just only, a million. You only get two hundred fifty grand off to go from. I know. Sheesh. Okay. Uh, gold. That seems a little more attainable, right? Seven fifty. No, not seven fifty. Not six fifty. <laughs> oh, not even four fifty. What? Three fifty. Oh, that's a bargain. That's a bargain. Holy crap! And there's twenty five slots. Should, we should go in together. We could. We, we could should. get one of those, right? Yeah. <laughs> could do that. Uh, silver. What do you think you pay for silver? So gold was three fifty. Yeah, silver's a hundred. Oh, hundred fifty. Close. 150, okay. Close. There's forty five of those. <laughs> what does that get you? Like a, a little? You get a little? You get a stool in the corner of the bathroom for for, <laughs> for hundred fifty grand. I, th I think you get like like breathing room. They get some elbow room, <laughs> a little bit. I, th I think bronze. You get like a closet. You know, you, yeah. you get enough room to stand, like with your arms to your side in between the the. The, gosh, what do you call them? The, yeah, because you know you have you walk in and you have the big gigantic booths, and then you walk in you have some like medium sized booths, and then often like the back corners and around the edges you have like these tiny little kiosk sized booths where 
someone standing there. I guess I, d- I just don't remember the. This is all expo floor stuff. Yeah. So what do you what is it called when you're in when you're like in the admin zone or what the developer zone, which is the same thing, right? I mean, I, I I think they they place you where you need to be. So if you're like if your tools are like admins focused or if you're just like selling software, I, I, so you won't be in the expo floor. You'll be in the de- developer zone. You might be, oh, yeah. Okay, I figured that was a separate, you know, it's a, that's a separate skew if you want to be in the developer zone. But yeah, I, I've only I've only had to deal with that once before with a company that got a booth, and it was a waste of money, hundred percent waste of money and waste of time. Hmm. Especially since um, at the that was like the first year they started using um, the the Mac monitors, and I was the only one that had a Mac, and so my computer ended up at the booth, <laughs> and um. Yeah, it was my computer, so I stayed at the booth, and everyone pawned off booth duty on me because I wanted to stay near my computer. Wow. (laughs) Anyways, good times, good times. Um, So that was uh, bronze. Bronze is a a steal at 50,000. Yeah. You can hardly get a car for that nowadays. Yeah. And exhibitor is 25,000, which I have no idea what that is. I think that's the, like, you only get, like, a standing room. Like, you get, like, one one sliver of a slot. It's like the alleyway. You get like in the alley. <laughs> you're shoehorned it's the in there. Lowest class you can get. Yeah, you're you're, you're coming up. Um, I so <laughs> you can actually you can actually have your your swag in the bag. That'll cost you seventy thousand. Um, so put like a pin to in get the a bag? pin in the bag, something like that. Does that include the cost of the pins? Probably not. <laughs> I don't think it does. <laughs> I don't I think, think it does. Think you have to supply. It's B Y O S. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hand sanitizer. That, that's a good thing to, to hand out at, at Salesforce. Sure, yeah. I always come back sick from those conferences. Wonder, is that more of um, at the beginning of the conference or being on the the the, the you know? It's probably both. Yeah. I feel like traveling there like like kind of weakens my immune system, I and think, then I'm there around all these other people, and it just it makes you sick. I think air, uh, airplanes and and airports is where I usually get sick. Yeah, that's my guess. Well, you can sponsor some hand sanitizer for fifty thousand dollars, or a water bottle for one hundred twenty-five thousand hmm. uh, dollars. Well, I mean, how much? You th- I wish we. I mean, we don't know this, but I wish. I wish I knew. I wish I even just knew like an order of magnitude, like how much Dreamforce costs. What do you think it costs? Enough that they're charging millions of dollars for sponsorships, and I bet, I bet they're still not even making any money on it. I don't think they make money on this. I you don't think wrong. so? No, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, they're charging for everything from from the the, the a pen. To a button, to conference room space, to and what's meeting ticket, rooms. Ticket cost is twenty two hundred uh, this year, right? Something like that, yeah. And it's sold out now. Did you see that? Is it? Yeah, sold out. Oh, I can't go. Yeah, darn. Uh, here's one that I thought was really interesting, and it's relevant to us. Okay. Uh, you can you can have a a, a spot on the Blazing Trails podcast for five thousand dollars. I didn't know there was a Blazing Trails podcast. Oh yeah. There's a whole podcast leading up to Dreamforce. Okay. And it's, I think it's part of their like web series show too. I think it's just that recorded into a podcast form, but. I have, I have a, a I've so wondering. I, I wanted to offer okay. this though. All right. Half off $2,500 to advertise in the Good Day Sir podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we should come up with our own. What do they, what do they call this? A menu or a, what's this called? Uh, a, we need a Good Day Sir podcast prospectus. I mean, I, I mean, that's, I say that's how advertising works. I mean, podcasts that, that have, uh, you know, big advertisers. Yeah, you get a prospectus, and you you know you've got this choice. And do you want a pre-roll? Do you want a mid-roll? Do you want a you want us to do like a custom read, or do you want to play your you know do we just play a previously recorded thing? I mean, there's a there's different pr- costs for all these things. Yeah. It just. What do you think we would charge? 
One million dollars. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. I think it's worth it. Because according to you, once we take advertising dollars, we can't talk about that company. You really, well, you can't. <laughs> you, you, you can. You have to say nice things about them. Yeah. So you got you to gotta buy our morals, our yeah. ethics. Yeah. That's expensive. Yep. Um, yeah. So, the, I mean, those, those are some of the numbers that were being thrown around. I thought that was interesting. It's, it's still expensive. I can't imagine with all those numbers being thrown around and I can't imagine them not filling all those slots. I mean, it's, it's got to make money. I, I don't know. I mean, the cost of running out those rooms. I don't rooms, think Salesforce I pays mean, for anything anymore. They, they get, they get all of these companies <clears throat> to pay for everything. Yeah. But I mean, think of how many people go there on a comp ticket. First of all, but that goes into sales and marketing budgets. I guess. I mean, ultimately, it boils down to actual dollars spent versus dollars received. I don't know. It's, I'd, I'd love to know. If a, if a little birdie wants to send us an anonymous email at info at Good Day Sir Podcast and let us know, that'd be very interesting. Just what it makes. Uh, just how much it costs. And, it does, and does it make money or does it lose money? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's a team dedicated to planning it. I mean, as soon as the first one's over, it, the planning for the next one starts. Actually, I think planning starts before the next one is even started. I mean, I think it's just this perpetual motion of planning and coordinating. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you have to book on, on those big venues. I think you have to book them, you know, years in advance. I've heard like around 10 years. I don't know if that's true or not. Oh, I don't know about that. <clears throat> that's what someone said the other day. Some of these things, you have to book them 10 years in advance. Oh, the, like the locations. And the dates, I guess, yeah. Yeah, I thought I heard someone say that the dates for Dreamforce are booked out 10 years or something like that. Something like that. Is that what it is? I don't, I don't know. know. Don't quote me. It seems like a lot. I don't even know if I'm going to be alive in 10 years or if I'll have a job. How could you possibly know what you want to do in 10 years? You want to be a Salesforce administrator. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, sorry, citizen developer. Yeah, that's right. Or just developer. Um... What else do I have? So, I, you know, anytime we get to talk about Docker containers, I think that's kind of interesting. The so lightweight containers. Properly introduced this this uh, segment. Docker lightweight <laughs> containers. Yeah. Um. I still. I mean, I, I. So I'm still not. I don't know. I haven't gotten up to speed on. I, I'm using Docker still as a very uh, as a utility, mm-hmm. and I, I haven't. I still haven't done anything like you know. Where I'm like orchestrating uh, containers with Kubernetes and stuff yet, but that's fine. I've really needed it yet. Um, but I've, I've got a new, uh, yet a new use for con- Docker containers, and it has to do with testing. And so historically, what I've done, like when I build apps, is for like integ- or like full blown. I don't know we call it integration testing or end to end testing. You gotta have it. You know, if there's a database involved or, or databases or whatever. Mm-hmm. You've got to um, typically in the past what I've done is <clears throat> you know there's like a testing environment. You might have a couple of testing environments. Like your, you know, maybe someone one on your local machine, and maybe one that is closer to your production environment, and then maybe one that's like a, a QA, like a file that's identical to your production environment, right? And you deploy the app to that environment, and you test it in that environment, and it hooks up to that database in that environment, and right does the tests. And there's all, you know, there's there's, um, you know, you do things like uh, you you put the database in a perfectly well known state, so that when your test runs. It's a reli- it's a repeatable test, right? Mm-hmm. And then every time after a test runs, you put your database back in a this well known starting state, and then you might have um, you, you know certain tests might require certain kind of data to be there. So and there's you know there's all kinds of tools that you know you can 
bake your all this this test data into the test with like you know csv files or xml files or whatever and then right before the test runs it actually puts those in the database <clears throat> so that's the way i've always done this stuff um but i was searching around because i'm like ah, i feel like there's maybe there's a better way to do this nowadays and this is nothing probably new to a lot of people but it, it's this is the first time i'm doing it there's a project called test containers and, and it's not the only way to do this but it that's what they're targeted to um it's just an open source thing Mm-hmm. But it basically makes it easy to, instead of having to like, okay, if you want to test your application with all, you know, exercise the whole thing and all those database calls and all that kind of stuff, instead of having to, you know, have a database server running on your laptop or in your test environment, or whatever, the, the test runner itself, which in this case is JUnit, um, just fires up this Docker container that you put and you kind of include in the, in the build as part of the test. And it's that it's a Docker container that's got you know a in this case a Postgres server running with just exactly the data that's needed for that test. Fires that thing up, runs the test, and then it, and then it tears it all down. Hmm. And the fir- when I first read about that, I thought, oh, that's there's no way that's going to work because I have like thousands of these tests, and if I have to spin up a database container <laughs> or a container, right, that then launches a database for every single one of these, it's going to take forever. But uh, and, and it does, you know, containers do take more startup time than if your database is already running and you don't have to start that up. <clears throat> but because each test runs against its own container, you can run like dozens of these easily in parallel. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it ends up being uh, maybe not quite as fast, but, but on the same order of magnitude. Right? And I think in some cases, depending on what kind of test you have, maybe faster. Because you can just spin them up and run them all at the same time. It's just mm-hmm. depending on how much memory you have. And you could even actually distribute them across different servers because since they're since because each of them has its own container with the, whatever you know is con- managing state like database or a mem- right. memcache server or whatever, they can all run in parallel. And you could so you could distribute if you had a you know if you had thousands of database tests for example, you could just distribute them across like a bunch of different VMs or something, and and they're all firing up their own little Docker Lightwing container to, for the database tests. And so when works, your test runs, really they're, well. they're initiating, they're starting up the doc. No, no, no. So like, so, <clears throat> so in this case, I'm, I use JUnit to run these tests, and uh, you can just have JUnit. I mean, just there's um, oh, I can't remember. It's either it's either like a before, what is it, before test or and it's not before test. It's something. It's a rule. It's, it's a JUnit rule, mm-hmm. and you can have class rules or or individual test rules. But um, yeah, this, there's this test container provides like a, I don't know what the name of it. it's like a rule provider or something basically, but um. It, it, it's the glue between basically JUnit and this test containers project. Mm-hmm. So it basically just fires up, fires them up automatically for you. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, that's, I tell you, containers are, are useful. They're very useful. We need some Apex containers so we can do that. <laughs> we really do. I mean, Wade, if you're working on that, that'd be great. <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> Hello. That would be awesome. I mean, that's that's one of the things that we wanted forever, right? Is uh, the ability to run some kind of way to run Apex. I mean, gosh, how much would um, the the Scott Wellses of the world love to be able to do that? Because tools yeah. like Illuminated Cloud, I mean, they just, I mean, he can do like because I don't even think there's any gram, formal grammar published or anything. You just have to. I think it's. Um, I think everyone has reverse engineered like the Apex grammar, and you know, with the tooling API now, I mean, you can actually get you can get all the all the types you can get type information mm-hmm. right so you go, you've got that but you can't actually run anything and you can't have the official compiler check things you have to 
do that all kind of on your own. You're, you're rearranging right. all that and you're hoping it's accurate. And of course it's not because nothing ever is, or at least not initially. And you, you know, have a million bugs you fix over time. Yeah. And then they change the grammar or they introduce a new thing, switch or whatever. Who knows what, it, I mean, it's not like, I guess Apex doesn't change that often. Huh? It's been 10 years now and they, they just added a switch statement. So, well, I think if, if, yeah, I think there's two sides to that because uh, Apex is so intertwined with, with the database that you can't divorce the two. At least I can't think of a way you can divorce the two. Um, you're, you're right. Well, I mean, so Apex has... And so it's, it's more than for... just a just validating and being able to run the language in some kind of runtime. It's you have to be able to run the language and the database. But that's true. But at least for tool, tool makers, at least being able to have like an Apex compiler would be great. Yeah. But I still don't have that. It's in the cloud, Jeremy. It's a cloud <laughs> compiler. <laughs> it's not, though. That's the thing. <laughs> but even, I mean, that, that's got obviously so many downsides to it. I mean, you can't, can't do anything on, the, on an airplane or if you have, don't have a great internet connection or, mm-hmm. and obviously it's just going to be a million times slower. And you also have the problem. I had this, ran into this again. The problem is like, I've, I've got a bunch of, you know, Apex classes on my hard drive. Is that what's in the org? Like what if I run a test? Well, I was going to say this. If I run a test, like what is it, what's the, what's, what world is it living in? Is it living in the world that's of the Apex classes that are on my hard drive? The answer is no. I hope what's on my hard drive is what's in Salesforce, but that, that those two things drift apart yeah. fast, especially if you've got multiple developers or people are refreshing sandboxes. It is what you are testing is not what you think you're testing. And Randy, this this week. So imagine this scenario. Let's say you have an Apex class called mm-hmm. Car, okay? Okay. And you deploy that to your sandbox. Great, right? You have a Car class in your sandbox. Mm-hmm. Then later you're local into a, like a let's say it's a, a, a QA sandbox. And then later you create a new class called mechanic. Okay. Because your mechanic needs to work on the car. But you realize um, the mechanic has to work on the engine. So you add a, a field, a public field to your car class called engine. Okay. And the mechanic class refers to that engine field on the car class. Okay. So now you want to deploy both of those classes, the new version of car that's got an engine field and the new mechanic that uses that engine field. You want to deploy both of those to your QA sandbox. Sure. So it turns out that, and I was using Illuminated Cloud, but it's not Illuminated Cloud's fault, it's just the, the way this tooling API works. It, it, this was failing. I wasn't able to deploy this. Because of the dependency. And I, yeah, even though it's deploying them both at the same time, in the same thing. Yeah, but sometimes it doesn't. Well, it doesn't work because it turns out that these tool providers, mm-hmm. they actually can't deploy them as an atomic thing. Well, they, they can. Um, but what Illuminate Cloud is going to do, if you have the settings set this way, is it's always going to prefer the tooling API. Well, it turns out there's like a, I don't know if it's a bug or just a limitation, but the way that Salesforce wants you to use the tooling API is to update. Like, if you want to update classes, that's fine. But if you want to create new classes, they want you to use the, the metadata API. Oh. Okay? So it was trying to create my mechanic class with a metadata API. Of course, that was failing, because the mechanic refers to the car class's engine, but that version of that car class isn't there yet. Oh, I'm glad you brought this up because that explains so, why I have certain issues. And this is kind of a PSA for anyone who uses either, again, I want to be very clear, not Illuminated Cloud's fault. This is not their fault. Right. They're just dealing with the same APIs that everyone else is dealing with. But I think you know, any tools are going to suffer from this problem if they haven't already worked around it. Uh, but what you can do in Illuminated Cloud anyway is you can say, hey, don't use tooling API. You go into settings, you have to, and you have to turn off like the global settings, don't use tooling API. Mm-hmm. And then deploy those classes 
and they'll deploy because it will use the metadata API and it can send them both at the same time. And then you go back in and you turn tooling API back on if you want it to use tooling API for other things. Because the tooling API for a lot of things is just faster. So you generally want that turned on. Right. Well, I mean, and that, that kind of pop in the stack, like, this that like, kind of makes a local compiler not valuable or viable. No, it because would. Because you would have, there's I, no way I to take know. your current state on your hard drive and push it to Salesforce and say, but there here's the be. new state. No, that is the number one problem I want these guys to solve. <clears throat> is it is so ridiculously hard and n unpredictable and non-repeatable to get this code into this org. Because the tooling is not up to the task, and the whole model of the way that stuff works is not up to the task. They've got to change it completely. That metadata model that they think is so great, some people think is so great, is not. It's not great. It causes innumerable problems, intractable problems, that 10 years later we're still dealing with, and it really has not gotten any better. But I, I still think that comes down to the way the system is architected. I mean, There's the no such thing as a... Because in, in all other software, you can say, you can have a build, right? And you can say, this is a build, and you can deploy that build to your test environment, your QA environment. People can sign off of it, and you can take that exact blob of bits, gold. That's what, what do you think when that word like a gold master comes from? That's what it is. It is this exact set of bits, and you can put it in production and know that that's what you're getting. Mm -hmm. This does not exist in the Salesforce world. And to my knowledge, it's like the only world that you can't do this in. Every other software development I've ever done, you've been able to do this. You can't do this. You can't, you can't say, oh, yeah, no, we know that that code that you tested, that's what we're going to put into production. You cannot guarantee that to anyone. True. Because you're probably going to, the good chance you're going to have to, like, split your build up. There's no good way to know that this exact bit is what's, is what's there. You might have things that, like, if you're, let's say you deploy your bits to the, a, 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 an org in Salesforce, there may be additional things in there that weren't a part of your build that were already there, but there's no, great way to figure that there's no good tooling that helps you say yeah i mean i we, i don't want that car class anymore it's not part of this build anymore mm -hmm. well that's a separate thing like you've got to know all that and build and and you can kind of do some of that as an atomic transaction if, if you're lucky right because you can have deletes in there but then there's like you have to pick whether it's a before delete or an after delete and it's just it's it's just a mess it's a total freaking mess but is there a way to do that with salesforce i don't know that there is no there's not i mean no i really. mean i don't mean like is there like some way that i don't know about i mean the way Salesforce is architected, is there even the possibility of doing this? So, and I don't, I don't currently have a project where we've got like, it's a, it's a large, and I say, when I say large, I mean, at least 100,000 lines of Apex, um, thousands of classes, uh, and where you're doing continuous integration, you've got, you've got a, a, a pipeline that, to get in production and then that's automated, all this stuff. I don't have that right now, but when I have had that, the way, the tooling I've built around that is um, tooling that, it, it has to look at the destination org, mm -hmm. right? And if it says, oh, um, I see in the destination org there's a, there's a car class, but we deleted that car class. We don't have it anymore. It's not in the build. Mm -hmm. So it knows to add these extraneous things right. to, the, to the delete um, process of, as it's part of the build. So what's it, what's it in Salesforce? The delete, um, it's a separate file. It's in separate XML. Because uh, you have the package.xml, mm -hmm. and there's a separate... What's it called? Destructive. Destructive. Yeah. I, it's just another package to me. It's no, just, it's, it's, but you know, you can put them in the same big old zip file. Right. Another caveat, if you can fit that under, what is it, 400 meg or something like that? I've had worked on projects where our builds are way bigger than that. So you have to, then you have to, you do have to split them up. 
deploy them one at a time, which is a giant mess because, again, what if you <laughs> what if you've got dependencies across those two things and like figuring them out and like it, it's it's a mess. And what what if one of them goes through and the second one doesn't go through? Well, now your org's in a completely undefined state. You could be destroying data. Your your communities could be down. Your website could be down. Your e-commerce mm-hmm. could be down because you're in this jacked up state that it's probably going to take you hours to get out of because if you've got that big of an org, it takes hours to get a deployment through. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it just is, this is things they've got to fix. If they want to live up to any, and I, I know this is turning into a rant podcast again. If they want to be, <laughs> if they want to t- take any of their claims seriously, and obviously people do, I mean, they're a $12 billion company right now or whatever. I mean, more, more power to you guys, I guess, if that's, if that's how you want to, that's, if that's how you think software should be deployed nowadays. But I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I, think it's a great story I mean, at all. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to say this, but I mean, forget I, I feel things, like I forget feel like things like blue green deployments and and just it's not even an advanced technique. That's just a basic technique nowadays. Forget all that. Forget. Don't even think about doing any kind of chaos engineering. Forget that. I mean, you can't do any of this stuff. Yeah, but I mean, I I, I don't know the right way to say this, but I wonder if the way Salesforce sees it is the things that we're trying to do as developers is a one percent problem versus. Everyone else who's just happy doing their point and clicks. You can't do this with Salesforce. I mean, how much of it is prioritization based on getting everyone to point and click and use the tools that are there? So Salesforce, is a it's in their name. They are a sales company, and they do exactly the things they think they need to do to be able to sell more software, sell more licenses. And in most cases, that's just going out and buying new companies, so they have more crap to sell. But now Salesforce has positioned themselves. I mean, they're they've gotten themselves in the top right quad, you know, corner of every quadrant that Gartner makes. And you basically just buy your way into that. You just get big and buy your way into that, all that stuff. I mean, yeah. it's just the way it works. Um, and and because Salesforce has bought so much stuff, they've got so much stuff to throw against the wall that they're considered a, a leader and a visionary because they're so broad. But that doesn't mean that we all know that that doesn't mean that that quality is necessarily good. Or that's the way you should deploy software, or that's what—that's maybe not what you should build one hundred thousand plus line of code projects onto. But that's what we're told we should do. Yeah, I mean, we've been told you can build the next Salesforce on Salesforce. Oh, really? <laughs> well, Salesforce is building their clouds on it, so uh, maybe maybe with them feeling the pain as well, that maybe we'll get a little more traction. And they're feeling the pain because I've got clients who are feeling all those pain of those verticals. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> But support isn't very supportive <laughs> when it comes to these clouds. Yeah, I mean, oh, I don't know. And, and then, of course, the whole flip side of all this rant I'm doing here is that Salesforce is probably the best enterprise, I don't know, you know, it's probably the best general purpose enterprise computing company for, for SaaS. I don't mean for, like, infrastructure or, or platform stuff. For SaaS. Yeah, you know, I mean, what, what am I going to tell people to, what do you, you know, you, you want to, you need, you need CRM, basic CRM, you need some e-commerce, you need, you need some service and support. What do you, what, what are you going to do? What's better than Salesforce? It's the best there is, right? I mean, arguably. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're out there making that argument and I'm not, I'm not saying that's not necessarily the, the, the right, that's the, the truth. You're, you're not saying it's not true either. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it is true. I'm not saying it, but I'm not saying it's not true. I think it may be true. In a lot of cases, I think it is the best solution. Which is why I really want them to fix some of the developer stuff because I, as much as maybe that's not what helps them sell, I mean, I think really, I think it's more of a drag than what on sales than what they think it is. I think it's more of a drag on customers extending their investment in Salesforce than what they think. I think because I think, it's hard to measure. But I because think that depends guys, on the customer. Because though. it is for every 
okay, we worked a couple of guys who somehow managed to take enough time to do this, this silly podcast once a week, right? Um, for every one of us, there's you know a thousand developers that don't ha- don't they don't they don't have a voice. They don't even try to have a voice, but they're going back to their boss and saying, "Yeah, I don't think we should do this," or "This is just not worth it anymore." Let's you know go, go a different direction or whatever. Well, I mean that's that's what the app exchange is for. They, they if they can't build it, they go buy it, and you have to you have to kind of live within the limitations of what that company had to live with. Yeah, and I and I think it's I think it's for example crazy, absolutely crazy to run your banking and financing on Salesforce. For now, yeah. Till they buy financial force right. officially, yeah. And I, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I shoot, I, I, I'm, in, I'm a big, I'm a Salesforce fan. I'm a Salesforce promoter. You know, I, I work in this, in this business, and I, I get them new. I help get them new customers all the time. And it's not because I think it's, it's, you know, it's not because I think it's not any good or whatever. I just, you know, I, there's just things, there's aspects of it that that need to improve and. That's what that's part of what we talk about on the show. And that's just I want people to I want people to understand that. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, we're not trying to tear tear Salesforce down. I'm just it's just what we deal with, you know. And their Salesforce is growing like crazy and they there's just things they need to stop and say, okay, let's pay down some of this technical debt. Let's fix some of these things. You know, this might have worked ten years ago when, when Apex we thought it was just gonna be a database trigger language, but mm-hmm. it's much more than that. So let's Maybe rethink something. Maybe a new language. Maybe it's um, you get to run your Node app, heaven forbid, or your, uh, you know, your your you can you know, run your jar on our thing, and it's you know you've got whatever. And I mean, obviously, and it wouldn't surprise me if there's some some R and D department in some closet somewhere that's working on stuff the, like that, trying to see if they can get that to work. I think there are. I mean, because I, I certainly know these discussions happen all the time. They've been happening forever, and I, 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 I there's there are probably ongoing like Skunkworks projects where they're trying to find a model that works, find a solution that. That they could do that. I mean, I'm, you know, and Heroku is not the answer. Obviously, we've they've been, right. to, you know, they people who don't know what they're talking about throw that out there as if that's a solution. It's not. No, it's a solution to other problems, but not the problems I'm talking. Well, about. even even Heroku's integration with Salesforce is is very much a. I don't want to, I want to say hodgepodge, but it, it it's pretty much what everyone else well, has to deal Heroku with. Heroku runs on Amazon out on the East Coast, and Salesforce runs. Yeah. Well, I know it's not like there's some kind of backdoor synergy no, there. No. I mean, they have to deal with the same kind of API and it's rule set that we do. Completely arbitrary. They right. might as well have bought um, Rackspace or DigitalOcean. It doesn't matter. I mean, right. it, it's equally as arbitrary. There's no, there's no synergy there. I mean, there's definitely a wall and silo around Salesforce proper, the the platform itself that we can't penetrate. And it's so any kind of change or growth or kind of feature enablement has to come from inside out. There's nothing we can do as a community to augment that, like we can with any other language or any other platform where we can say, oh, you need to do that? Here's a library that yeah. I did that, that can do that. Yeah. We can't extend Salesforce in that way. Yeah, I, I think... So we're very dependent on them to provide these solutions. I think Salesforce is going to have to move to a model where instead of them inventing the whole stack, mm-hmm. that they take at least the top parts of the stack and they define an interface so that right. you bring us your Node app, you bring us your jar file... And we'll provide you well-known interfaces. Maybe they're maybe it's just you know it's it's all API based or whatever. But we will run your your application on our runtime, and but we'll run it in our data center so that it is super low latency, right? Just mm-hmm. like if I'm running my Elastic Beanstalk app against my RDS server, they're they're in the same data center, so they're they're you know their their latency is really low. It's, they're kind of designed to work together, right? Something like that. They're going to have to like the top part of the stack. They're going to have to like uh, start. 
they're gonna have to embrace like existing technologies, open source, wh whether it's open source or whether it's Java, which is not kind of really open source a little bit, not really, whatever. Um, but stuff that they don't control because it's it's too much engineering overhead. It's it's uh, and it's, it's it's too hard to get momentum around. I mean, why would you why would you want to do that when like you do have these like giant existing and because they can take advantage of that. Like, I mean, imagine the imagine the effort that has gone into the whole um, Java ecosystem or the Node ecosystem. It it's like hundreds of billions of dollars if you had to quantify it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's impossible for a company to create that kind of value. Yeah. Like, use that value. Take advantage of it. For, it's free. I mean, you just have to build a well-known, you know, a, a, the right interface to your system so that these apps can, can tie into it tightly, you know, in a way right. that's performant but safe and everything else, you know? And they can do that. And I, like I said, I'm, I, ha I would be shocked if they don't have Skunkworks projects that are working on that right now. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess the flip side to that is is how do they monetize that or do they? Because I, I think one of the advantages of it, it Apex, opens up so many it opens up so many more use cases, so many more opportunities that that are not really real right now. They're not possible. I think it does, but I mean, I see them. Uh, do you see? It opens up the, so many more developers, like so many more of the right developers and development yeah. teams. You know, it just. I mean, I, I I can tell you. I mean, I still I, when I talk to. Um, people who are uh, software engineers, but they don't have any experience in Salesforce. And I show them, I tell or, or explain to them what it's what you know, how Salesforce works, developing on it, and everything. It's just part of it. They kind of don't get it, and I don't blame them because it's it's such a different model than what people are used to. But mm -hmm. also, I mean, the part they do actually, they really don't like. It's it's not attractive. It's not that doesn't it doesn't sound good. So you can I mean, have to use this Apex language, this proprietary thing that's there's not good tooling for, and it's really limited, and it's kind of based on a 15-year-old forked version of Java. It's like, that, nothing, nothing about this is, is attractive. And how you deploy, how you build, how you test, it's, it's none of it is, none of it's appealing to, you know, your general, like, you know, software engineer out there, working yeah. software engineer, professional. I mean, it's just, it's just not. And so that's, a, that's somewhat of a problem for them. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's friction that they don't have to have. Sure. There's a lot of, and it, you know, I know it would take a lot of work. It's a it'd be a huge engineering effort on their part, but I think it would totally be worth it for them to to do something like that. I, I just don't know that it would translate to more licenses. To oh, be I honest, think I think it would. I think I, I think there is a there's a a drag on Salesforce that's it's invisible. It's kind of hard to see. Well, I don't I don't think people buy Salesforce because they want to build something on it. I think they buy it because they want to buy the capabilities that they say it can do. It's only once we get into the cycle of what are your requirements here's what the system can do and here's what it can't do the reality that we have to play the reality card that we have to put in front of our clients and say we can do that but that's going to take custom coding or some kind of yep. additional configuration no one goes into salesforce buying it and saying oh i want to build this thing and no. i want to code it and i want to code it in your environment because you're it has all this all this tooling already built and i i think you're right but i think as if you look at salesforce's life for the past 20 years i think that's i think that that statement is less and less right because for the longest time salesforce i mean they were selling to sales and marketing executives that exclusively i mean that was their that's how they backdoored their technology into companies yeah right well nowadays especially if they as they as they promote their their technology platform right and it's and it does i mean it, but they're not even they're not even advertising development in their platform they're advertising no code low code Fourth Industrial Revolution, become yeah, a developer, do trailheads, point and They still call it development. They still, you know, they've got all these a, a, actually pretty good APIs that they, that, they, that, they, that they tout. And, you know, platform events and all this other stuff that's, a lot of it's quite nice, you know. And 
But it doesn't sell a license. Uh, it, the I APIs don't sell licenses. I think licenses. that's changing. I think they've got to have. They've got to keep upping their tech game if they want to keep. What do you call it? Penetrating further into companies because when CTOs and CIOs are listening to this, you know they're you know that they're that's a much harder sell. I guess the argument could be made that to maintain the customers they have, the sophisticated customers they have that are heavy into customization, heavy into integration with other systems, then yes. But, I mean, they've also got MuleSoft now, which solves some of that. Uh, it solves some problems, but not, not generally not speaking the, the problem. I mean, it solves integration problems and, and certain kind of API problems. But, I mean, there's, it's, there's still a lot of, like, if you're just wanting to just keep building apps and customizations on top of your Salesforce and your, your marketing, I mean, all, all you know, the, the clouds, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you're kind of back to, like, oh, this, this technology kind of thing. And, I, I mean, I deal with customers all the time. That's... That's what I. That's what has taken up eighty percent of my time over the past year is helping customers build stuff that's not on Salesforce, and it's not my choice. That's just what they're needing to do because of the limitations and well, the because they already they have. have Salesforce. Exactly. It was. It wasn't part of the original sales pitch. But they totally would have just built all this on Salesforce had the technology and or and the licensing been the right model. But in many cases, you know, one or both are not. They're just not right. They're not up to the task, or it's a or you've got a an impedance. Uh, kind of problem here, and yeah, so they and just I, so they build they build off platform, and then they use you know integration or something like MuleSoft to connect things back up. Yeah, so things like MuleSoft enable people to get off of Salesforce for a lot of things. That's what you want. That's good architecture. You don't want all your eggs in one basket. Salesforce would like you to have all your eggs in their basket. Well, I'm, what I'm saying is, if they can, if they would move in this direction, I'm talking about, they would get more eggs in their basket. They'd, they'd hit that $20 billion. I mean, I'm not... You know, they get all the eggs, huh? I know, here I'm talking like I have the answers to all their problems. <laughs> this is how you get to $20 billion. You see, you just uh, build yourself a new platform with a new program language, and uh, you get your Node.js and your Java, and you're, uh, you're good to get your jar file, drop it in there, maybe your war file. You've got to put Dart in there, too, now. <laughs> Dart 2. Dart 2, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that um, somebody posted an article earlier. It was like, Dart 2, and this is why like Flutter is all the better. We just talked about Flutter last week. Yeah. Have you checked out Flutter? You should. I know you've been busy. Put it on your list of stuff to never get to. You should really yeah. check out Flutter. <laughs> well, my, my free time is, is getting eaten up. My, my, did I tell you my kids want to learn some programming? No, that's good. I want to teach my, at least my oldest kid. I want him to start getting into programming. But you, well, you, you've, you've, you've tr- had tried a little bit or, or stuff I, I exposed him to some of the apps, yeah. and I also have the Mindstorm robots. And my son got mm-hmm. into the Mindstorm robot. He really liked that. Sure. Um, but like, there was a new camp that came up to teach kids programming. I was, I was like, absolutely not. App camp for kids? That because was... all these stupid app camps how about are. Girls, how about uh, for your daughter, Girls Who Code or the Girl Develop It or whatever? I've looked at them. And, and I'm not going to, I don't want to paint this as a broad brush, but the ones that I've looked at are dumb. They mm-hmm. take these, they have these systems and these mm-hmm. apps, they run on iPads and they drag and drop these little nodes and they connect the connectors. And it does stuff, and everyone go claps and says, "Yay! You got it to say something, or you got it to do something. You got the little robot to move and does, do hit detection." When it, it, all they do is drag and drop. Does it crap. say "You go, girl," when you finish it? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, but I caught my daughter. Well, about, uh, I caught my daughter <laughs> on a on a on her iPad. Um, I forgot what site she was on, but she was she was messing around with HTML and CSS. Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, yeah. it's time." Um, yeah. What about um, the what's it called? The Swift Playgrounds, right? Or Swift I, Playground? That's that's a, probably a little too much. I think much? I okay. think I'm going to start them with just HTML, CSS, and some JavaScript. See, I because that's very accessible. It's they have. It, I feel like I feel like the the that triumvirate of HTML and CSS and JavaScript is such a such a mess. 
I don't like Isn't either, it? but I can teach them simple concepts like variables and, you know, event systems and things like that. And, I, and it'll be tangible because it's something they can see on the screen versus like some terminal that says hello world. I still think Which for kids these days, I think they need something a little more visual. So, you know, having something shown on an HTML page, yeah, something true. moving. Yeah. Will be a but little the, more compelling, and the, the the gratification of seeing like a web page run done is pretty nice. But I still think, as far as like learning programming for like really beginners, young young people, particularly. And in fact, I got a buddy who um, has done this for gosh over a decade. He teaches kids um, programming, and he it's Python. He uses Python. I think Python. Python is 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 a you know there's no a thing uh, right now. You don't have you know there's no like public static void main. Yeah. I mean, just all kinds of the cruft that goes along with a lot of languages and stuff. It's just it's. Like from the first line you write, it can be useful stuff. Yeah, one of my daughter's one of her friends is, I think, spending some time with Python this yeah. summer, and so she wanted me to to teach her some Python. And I'm like, not I'm not great with Python, but I know enough to. Oh, I'm not either. But you could oh you could yeah you could teach her Python and teach her some basics and get her to do some yeah. stuff. You know, I'm probably better with Python than you are because I've done Python. I do Python for certain things. Yeah, I wrote a um, <laughs> I wrote like a thing in Python. You <clears throat> you could. If you have like a, let's say a folder of MP3 files, mm-hmm. and I don't even know if this still works. This is back when I used iTunes actually for, for uh, podcasts, because mm-hmm. you had to. You had to use iTunes to subscribe to podcasts. And then you could use, what was it? I think it was the iTunes app that used to be on the iPhone. It was called, the app was called iTunes, I think. Anyway, that's like the, that was the canonical way to do pod, to podcasts on your iPhone back in the day. But I had, in addition to subscribing to the actual podcast, I had a bunch of like uh, different books on tape and different things I I downloaded, and I wanted to use those. I wanted to consume those through the through the podcast app, but the, because the podcast app, unlike the music app, remembers where you are on everything, like what mm. point in files you are. All right. The music app doesn't. I mean, you close the music app, come back to it, and launch. You know, go back to the same song. Starts from the beginning. All right. So I created this little Python script that would like look at all the, the media files in a directory and it would create a. A podcast, like an X, what is it called? Like the the feed uh, XML? What, what are the, what's that the called? The playlist? No, no, no. The, um, the stream? What, what's playlist? the XML file that, that podcasts consume? That's the RSS. Standard. Yeah, it would create the RSS file and like import it into your iTunes. And uh, there you go. You have a, you now have a podcast of all these files that are there in some arbitrary folder on your hard drive on your computer. Hmm. And then your, compu- your, phone, you, your phone would read it and would download those files onto the phone and uh, you're good to go. And that was like, it was so easy in Python. It was like so, you know, Python's just great at things like that. Little thing. I use it for like glue things. That, that's my only, I, 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 wanted to, I want to go ahead and teach them that because one of, you know, at least my daughter at least has asked for that. But my problem is, it, it, and maybe I should leave this to them to decide and me not make the decision for them, but is it going to be as fun or compelling for them to just see a terminal, have it run a command and, I don't know. I think you should start, a te- file. you should teach them Vim. They have to use Vim. <laughs> <laughs> teach them hex and assembly and go from and just build up from there yeah well john those are my uh those are my topics oh here's one i i didn't get to why the tech sector may not be solving america's looming automation crisis that sounds like a fourth industrial revolution topic right there i'm gonna i'm gonna save that one that's lame i'm gonna, I'm gonna put that in my sounds like, sounds like back to someone who's just like needed to put some words on on a page so they can get paid. You know, it's a huge topic that it's it's coming up everywhere in news and everything. But but you know, I, what? I find it to be a non-start. I don't think it's what these people say it is or what well, it's going to be. I, I just so the thing I saw the other day it was taught it was a um, 
some kind of presentation on this, and it show it talked about the different types of jobs and which ones are going to be in trouble or just going to go away as a as a part of um, automation. And the one that was in the their, their example of one that was in the best shape possible is a software developer. But hmm. then I got um, well, here's here's the here's the, uh, the the talker at Salesforce, the guy that just pays paid to talk. Um, coffee, Peter yes. Coffee. Um, he you know he says that we're in bad shape. We're gonna you know what we do is it's. Not, not going to exist. We're not going to exist. Well, he's talking about Salesforce developers. Yeah, we're in bad shape. Well, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> fair point. Fair point. <laughs> that's we, true. We, we better start brushing up on our pearl skills and <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Python. <laughs> Python. God help us if we have to brush up on our pearl. Yeah. It's even worse. I don't know why I keep using those words interchangeably because they both, well, Python, they're both P words. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, Python, Ruby, they all, they all inherited I will say, or borrowed from a lot of Perl stuff, which in turn borrowed, a, it, it depends on what order you learn these things and like, you're like, oh, that's where it came from. But, but because Perl borrowed a lot from like bash and things. So like mm-hmm. you just, you can follow this lineage of certain ideas and the way that certain commands work and what things are called and whatever. Like, oh, the Ruby's like uh, Perl, which is like bash, which is like this certain command or, you know, certain, you know, these little POSIX utilities and stuff. That's like any other language, even spoken language. You can find origins in Latin and all those kind of things. PHP is in that lineage too. You got to say, got to, got to, got to give credit there. Not necessarily credit, but they they borrow a lot of these things too. Yeah, a lot of the PHP stuff. It's like, oh, that's. Very, I haven't touched PHP in so long. I mean, I, really, I, but I I keep up with it a little bit when I have to do some WordPress John. modification. There but are so many people that are using PHP because it's, it's WordPress. Yeah, well, now yeah, well, that's a big one. That's not a big number, but look how big PHP is at Facebook. I mean, it's. People are doing like gigantic things with PHP. Yeah, I saw a talk um, from the creator. I forgot what his name was. Um, the original creator of yeah. PHP. I, uh, I've seen talks from him too. And also, like, he's, he's really advocating for people to upgrade to the latest version. Yeah. But there's like, you, you yeah. can't like straight move things. Yeah. You have to actually migrate over right. and things like that. And, and there's so many, there's just like millions of these LAMP servers that are just stuck on old, you know, PHP yeah. 4 or whatever. They're just never going to change. But you know, yeah, and you have these like uh, frameworks which have gotten really big. Like, what's the PHP one? Laravel? Laravel? Is that right? Oh, maybe I don't know. I think I've heard of that um, one. It's like super popular. It's this huge Laravel, the PHP framework for artisans. Yeah, giant community. I mean, huge uptake, and it's hmm. you know, that's people are building. It's like a it's like, like an app framework that's built on PHP. I thought it was funny the way he described it because I think he said he said he originally wrote it as a templating language and then he noticed people were like writing templates for his templating language or something like that and he was like yo dog <laughs> heard you like templates yeah um it was it was some video on youtube maybe i'll try to find it and link it up because it was pretty interesting because it kind of talked about some of the origins and what his original intent for it was and how it just kind of it it, it it at first it started out as being his thing for him and then it grew beyond him and then it just became other people's thing mm. that he just kind of had to play service to like he he had no intention of it becoming what it was today so i think it's interesting to see how you start something and it grows beyond what you could imagine yeah because a lot of these things they just start as a way to scratch their own itch something really simple yeah and why hasn't anything i created ended up like that john because we suck i know (laughs) (laughs) or i suck i won't speak for you but i suck i'm I'm, I'm reminded I'm every day boat. how much I suck. I, I make so I've made so many mistakes these last couple of weeks on just things I've architected or over engineered. I posted that thing where I said you're in my head because I I prematurely optimized this this roll up trigger. I had it asynchronous processing. I had 
I had a worker class that was called from a job class and the trigger would call the worker class. And then I had a writer class that actually did the writing. And then one simple requirement broke all of that. Yeah. And that was, mm. they wanted to add a validation rule so that if the roll-up went up beyond a threshold, it would throw this validation rule error. Well, the roll-up is actually rolling up to two separate objects. And I can't, the only way I can get an error back is to throw it. Well, if you throw an error, you get the entire stack. Which users, to users, that's like, oh, crap, something major happened. Yeah, why is it that we can't provide a better error experience? I know. I, I don't understand. So what I had to do is I had to keep track of the ID. Well, here's, here's the other thing, the kicker. It, I, was map, I had to create a map of the original object that got passed in from the trigger, and I stuck it in a map, thinking, okay, I'll keep track of the IDs, and I'll keep track of which ones they're related to and map it back. And I'll just do an add error on that object so that the error goes back, and it's properly formatted. For some reason, when I was adding it to the map or moving it around, it ended up creating a copy of it. So the, the add error never made it back to the interface. So what I had to do is just store the ID so that I can access the trigger map directly at, in my mm. save result handler uh, so that I could add the error directly yeah. back to the record that was in the map. Mm. Because for some reason, it was getting cloned or copied. It wasn't, it wasn't referencing it so that the error would show up. But I mean, it's like, there was some weird stuff. I was like, yeah. I was very careful about how I inserted this, but at some point, Salesforce internally just, you know, cloned it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that moment when all your abstractions come crashing down. Yeah, so I tore down all the abstractions. I, I got rid of all the async processing, all the asynchronous processing, and now it's just straight synchronous processing, which I don't like, but the record count should be low enough. It should be a non-issue. Like I said, I just kind of premature, prematurely optimized it for large volume data, so. Yeah. All right, John, well, let's start wrapping this thing up. Um, do we have any, uh, any, do we get any emails or any other, you know, like communication or other business we gotta get to today? No, um, we just need to wrap it up as usual. Um, still have shirts, still have mugs if you're in the US and you we want to send you one out. How do we still have shirts? I've been sending them out. Okay. <laughs> I'm also, I'm also. Do we know uh, what sizes we have left? I need to do an inventory, okay. but I'm going to do an inventory on that and start working on a way to make those a little more easily accessible. Um, I'm also looking at, for our international listeners, ways for me to get merch to you guys. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that come up again. I, th I think there may be ways. I mean, I can order stuff from these uh, Hong Kong websites and they can ship it to me for like a dollar and it comes through the postal service. Like... No, their postal service is somehow hooked up to ours, and they got a deal, and it's cheap. Now, I don't know if all if we have that with all countries. You would well, think though, like you could somehow through the post office, our postal service, you could you could send something to like Western European countries for a reasonable price. <clears throat> but uh, I don't it, know. It, it doesn't seem to work that way. So what I'm looking at is I'm trying to look to see if there's a way for me to order or drop ship from a European printer to local addresses. We already have stuff. We don't need to make more stuff. Though that's the problem with that. It's, you know, I'm just looking at options. I know, but it's just like we don't, you know, we're just two dudes who talk into a microphone. We have no money. We have no money. You know, like we don't have, there's no budget well, for this. That's the other <clears> thing. <throat> we could set up a store and let people just buy well, what buy they stuff. want. I know, I know. People, people are bugging that. They're, they're bugging for us to set up a Patreon so they can, people want to just. You say it like it's a bad thing. No, it's not. A, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's nice that people want to like, you know, I guess well, contribute this, to You'll this, use the word bug. I don't, I don't mean that. I don't mean it in a negative way. I'm just saying they. People want to contribute, and we don't give them any way to do it. Yeah. Well, we need to work on that. You and I need to have a meeting on that. I don't know. Well, it's like, I don't know. Like, 
it seems like Over, every, every week it's either you or me. It's like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so when that's our typical conversation, like we're not, you know, we can't even get to the conversation of how do we help? How do people help contribute? <laughs> we, 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 need we, to are, talk. we are some, we are some moody bastards. I can we need to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we need to have a, an off the, uh, off the air meeting. You know what we, you know what we should do? We don't have those very often. We, 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 try we to should keep it follow in the footsteps of Mr. Benioff and Parker. We should, you and I solo head off to Hawaii on a beach, come up with the next big idea. I'm not sure my wife would be okay with that. <laughs> I think we'd have to take the wives is the problem. Yeah. I mean, that's not a problem. We can make that work. Yeah. But, um, all right. Well, so, um, yeah, the Slack just keeps growing. So we have this uh, great Slack team. If, if you're not in it yet and you'd like to come check it out, send, uh, actually go to our website, gooddaysforpodcast.com. Yep. Click on community and you just put your email address in and John will add you manually because we are not very good programmers, I guess. Um, I can make it automated. But you that, didn't want but that takes to. a romance out of it though. You know, you have to put up, what do you have to put up a capture then? I mean, no. You know, we want to make sure that like we're getting like. Legit I can actually emails. set up a an email. Uh, uh, I can actually set up a landing page on Slack that will let you add your email address and get automatically in. But I don't want that though. I know that's what I said. Okay. You didn't want that, right? Well, do you want that? <laughs> no, I'm okay. fine. Okay. What else do we have? Um. Yeah, we email I mean, info us. Yeah, yeah info at goodesterpodcast.com. Write a review if you can. Yeah, we yeah reviews. We always like getting reviews and and certainly like. In your podcast app, hit the hit the heart or the like or the star, whatever it is. Um, you know, those I don't know, do something. We still need to meet on Spotify too, because we haven't talked about that. Okay. Well that'll be another topic in our in our I guess our <sighs> I'm gonna meeting. find some time for, on a calendar for us to meet and just knock this stuff out. Mm. <clears throat> okay. Good luck with that. Anyways. All right. I gotta go. Yep, me too. To that I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>